Before I read the scripture and start the sermon, I want to remind you we are all very aware of the the horror and the tragedy that occurred in Covington this a week ago today to a week ago tonight. And I simply want us to pray for the people of St. Peter Catholic Church. And I want us to pray for the larger Catholic community and, and then a, essentially for all of us uh, about these kind of things that are happening. And I know that, that our Heavenly Father is grieved as we are grieved, but even more so at our, that our rebellion and sinfulness in the world. So would you stand with me, please? And let us simply go to the Father and tell him of our love for him and our love for our neighbors and to ask God's blessings. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can pray and that we can call on you. God, we recognize we're a sinful people who need you so desperately in our own personal lives and in our church and in our community. And now, God, we grieve and we ask your blessings on the congregation at St. Peter Catholic Church. And we ask your blessings on our community and that in only the way that you could do this, that you would take these horrible circumstances and use them for good. God, we pray that your name would be exalted and lifted up and would be made known to our community and that you would be praised. God, we pray for grieving families and people and churches, and we ask your blessings upon them. We pray this in the only way we know to pray, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 26. And uh, we're going to read about Gabriel coming from the Father above and speaking to a peasant woman in an out-of-the-way place called Nazareth, telling her that she is going to be that that she's going to be with child and going to give birth. It is about the power of God. What I'm going to do during December is talk about the wonderful words of Christmas. We've been talking about gratitudes and blessings, and those blessings are these wonderful words. Think about the words that we associate with Christmas, joy and hope and light and salvation. And maybe we don't think about this word, but the word power, that nothing is impossible with God. Let's read about it in Scripture. Luke chapter 1, and I'll begin reading with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly the favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words 
and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How will these things be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Other translations say nothing is impossible with God. Mary's answer is classic. Mary's answer tells us why she is revered and appreciated. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. A couple of weeks ago, I, I got word about a man in our community who had died and that is not unusual. We're now a very large community. And so there, so death is not unusual. And we know of many people who have died. And of course, death is something common to all of us. But this death particularly struck me hard. And the reason was, it's amazing the things you remember in life. Years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, I was kind of introduced to this man by a man in our church who, who is good about giving of his faith and telling others of his faith, and he sought to share the gospel with this man. Now, I don't know all that was said. I don't know any other parts of the converse, conversation, only this. The man told him, he said, I don't believe that stuff. And he meant the virgin birth and the resurrection. And I assume the, the, the miracles of Jesus making the lame to walk and the blind to see. And you can understand why it struck me so hard. I don't believe all that stuff. It, it, but he did get the point, didn't he? Because the, the, the whole point of the gospel is the power of God. The whole point of Christmas is the power of God. Th these are not just nice, sweet stories. 
We don't come to church. We don't give our lives. We don't give our money for foreign missions because of nice, sweet stories. Isn't this a cute story? A, a child being born and laid in a feed trough, and wise men came, and shepherds came, and angels sang. And isn't that a wonderful story? People don't give their lives for those kinds of stories, they give their lives for the work of God within them, for the power of God in their lives. If God doesn't have the power to save, then it makes no sense for us to be here. If God doesn't have the power to change people's lives, to change the trajectory of their lives, because that's what God does within us, when we come to faith in him, he changes the direction in which we're going. He changes the trajectory that we're on because of the power of God. Mary said, how can these things be? She asked the appropriate question. It's about power. How will this happen since I'm a virgin? This is not something anybody has ever heard before, anybody has ever thought about before. How will these things be? And that needs to be the question for all of us. Does God really have the power to change my life? Does God really have the power to forgive my sin? Does God really have the power to make me a new person? Does God have the power to go with me through life and to help me through the difficult times of life? By the way, this would be a good time for us to, to recognize that God doesn't take us out of the difficult times. Mary's difficult times are just going to begin. This is not something where she's taken out of all this. This is something where she commits herself unto the Lord and God works in her and God walked alongside of her and God blessed her. If you were to go to Matthew and read the narratives about the birth of Jesus, you would read it from Joseph's point of view. In Luke, you read it from Mary's point of view. And why would that be the case? Well, first of all, Matthew was one of the, the 12 original disciples. He had seen everything from the beginning. He had known other of the stories, but Luke came along late. Luke was a Gentile. He was not an original disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. He had heard the message of God and had been saved. And because of who he was, he had this great desire to tell to other Romans and Gentiles the good news of Jesus. So if you go to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you get the prologue. And you tell that, that Luke is writing it to a man named Theophilus. It means lover of God. We don't even know that that was a common name of that day. But maybe it simply described a Roman who came to faith in Christ and who loved God intently. And so Luke says, desiring to put together a more orderly account... I've put this for you to know that Jesus is the Christ. And so apparently 
Luke went to eyewitnesses and he asked them questions. Luke couldn't go to Joseph if we're correct. Remember in the Gospels, we don't see Joseph after Jesus was age 12 in the temple. And after that, we read nothing about Joseph. Biblical scholars assume it makes, every, makes really good sense that somewhere between age 12 and age 30, Luke tells us that Jesus, when he started his ministry, was about 30 years of age. So somewhere in that time period, it is assumed that Joseph has died. So Luke couldn't go to Joseph, but he could go to Mary. If you read about the birth of Jesus in Matthew, and you read about it in Luke, you see it's all about the same event, but it is looking at it from two widely divergent points of view. You know, people who want to be a skeptic will be skeptical about anything. And so why are these so different from their point of view? Well, it's a simple little answer. One's a man and one's a woman. And anybody who has ever been in a delivery room where there is a husband and a wife knows that you get two widely divergent views of what has just happened. I was in the delivery room. Uh, they said the baby was born. I was right there. It's a girl. And what did Martha start doing? Crying. And what did I do? I doubled over with a belly laugh. Two widely divergent points of view. But telling us of the power of God. What is this telling us? Well, it is telling us that God works, that God worked in the past and God continues to work. If you were to read the Old Testament, one way of looking at the Old Testament is it tells us about the God who acts. Throughout history, God has been acting. God has been working. God has been working and calling us to work and to be his people. So you go back and you, you see God calling Abraham and you see Jacob and you see Isaac and you see Joseph and you see God working. And when the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, you see God working and raising up a person. And one of the things that is so clear in history is that God works and he works through individuals. And here it is a peasant woman. In, the, in a little town that nobody knew and nobody thought much about, the town of Nazareth in Galilee. And the angel of the Lord came to Mary. And he is talking about God's work. He is talking about God's favor. He says to Mary, you have the favor of God over you. Therefore, Mary, do not be afraid. And what a wonderful thing it is to remember that when God is with us, we have nothing to fear. When God is there, when we're doing what God asks us to do, then we, are, we have him with us and he works on our behalf and that we can find strength and help in that. 
The, the angel said, don't be afraid because you have found favor with God. God is at work and we need to see God working in our midst and we need to know that God is with us and that he cares for us and that he never leaves us alone. The second thing that we find is that God works in ways which are beyond our ways. Now, most of us, our problem is we don't get outside of about three feet of where we are. In our minds, in our thoughts, we can never get away from the fact that we are humans and to have an idea that there is a God of the universe as the Bible tells us that there was no beginning and there is no end, that when we are told in Scripture that he was the same yesterday and today and forever, when we are told in Scripture that he knows every one of us, even the number of hairs on our head, and as I say, even our DNA sequence, it is almost impossible for us to comprehend that kind of God. He is beyond us. That's what the prophet Isaiah said, or that's what God said through the prophet Isaiah. It's chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. God said, "But my, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. There is this tremendous difference between us and God. And we can't raise the dead. And we can't oversee a virgin giving birth. And we have difficulty making the lame walk in the blind see. But our ways are not God's ways. Isaiah said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, so are God's way higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God works, and he works among us, and he works powerfully. And the issue is, are all things possible with God? Can God do what he says that he will do? It's never been any different. The Apostle Paul uh, after his third missionary journey, was arrested in Jerusalem, placed in jail at Caesarea on the sea, on the Mediterranean Sea, and he was in jail for two years, and they kept calling him out and parading him before people. And, and, and you could almost hear them saying, look, you've got to hear this guy. He's got a, a, a fabulous story, meaning something not to be believed. So they brought King Herod Agrippa to Caesarea, and he had an audience with Paul, or maybe it was the other way around. Paul had an audience with him, and what did Paul do? Paul gave his testimony. Paul told him how he was saved. Paul told him about the, the road to Damascus. Paul told him about the great light. Paul told him about Jesus appearing to him. And Paul told them that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And at that point, they said, Paul, your great learning has driven you insane. And Paul asked a question. It's Acts 26, 8. It's a tremendous question. 
Why is it incredible to you that God would raise the dead? Now, he was talking to a Jew, at least Agrippa identified with the Jews. He was a king. He had them as his subjects, and he had to identify with them. And so he knew the biblical stories. He knew Elijah being taken up into heaven. He knew of the power of God. He knew about Moses and dividing the sea. So Agrippa, why is it incredible to you? And remember the word incredible we use as meaning amazing and fantastic and wonderful. That was an incredible meal, we'll say. But you know that the word credible means that which is true, that which can happen. And to be incredible means that it can't be believed. So Paul wants to know why is it not credible to you that God can raise the dead? And why is that the case with us? When the, when the Hubble telescope was sent into space, we wondered what we were going to get. When the James Webb telescope was sent into place, there were many people who were saying, now the time is going to come when the belief in God is going to be forgotten completely. I think what has happened is all of that's been turned on its head. Because the whole idea that there are 200 billion galaxies like our Milky Way galaxy and billions and billions of stars that we have no idea where they are or how long it will take to get to them has led to the question of how if, if there is a God, first of all, where did all this come from? And if it came from the God who could speak heaven into existence, why would it be not credible that God raises the dead? God works, and he works in ways that are beyond our ways. And he works with a great purpose in mind. God works that you and I may know him and experience him. It, that we may come into the presence of God and that we may be close to him and that we may know him and that we may, we may be in his presence. That's, that's, what, that's what Gabriel is saying. He comes to a, a virgin in Nazareth. He is Gabriel if you read earlier in Luke chapter 1, you read that Gabriel is the one who stands in the presence of God, and so he speaks the word of God. He is the Lord's messenger, which is what the word angel means, by the way, the messenger. So he is the messenger of God, and he speaks the things of God, and he comes to make God known. Christmas is about God pulling back the curtains of heaven and showing us who he is and telling us that he knows us and he cares about us deeply, that he wants us to experience him as he is. One of the things I've been studying recently is about abiding in Christ and being close to him. And, and here's what I read just last week. There are 21 known prayers of Jesus in the Gospels. And in all of those prayers, Jesus addressed God 
in the same way, but not in the way anyone in Israel had ever addressed God. He addressed God as Father. There are a couple of times in the New Testament where God is called Father, but not in a direct address and not in a warm, personal way. Because when Jesus called God Father, he used the Aramaic word Abba, my Father. And he spoke of him intimately and closely. Abba was the word that a Hebrew child would call his or her father. If the father said, do this, and the child said, yes, Abba, it was like, it's like what I called my dad. I tell you about my dad. I tell you about my father. But I didn't call him dad. I didn't call him father. It never occurred to me that maybe I should ever get beyond calling him daddy. But I never did. And I still haven't. And that's what Jesus did. And when God sent his son, he revealed to us a loving, kind, warm, heavenly father. And and while we can't do this or God can't do this to us in a physical way, that's what he does to us. He is the father who comes to us and puts his arms around us and loves us in a warm, intimate way, and he wants us to know him in that way, and he wants us to experience him. God is not a cold presence somewhere out in the universe God is the up-close spirit who is with us and in us, who cares about us and wants us to know how important we are. So God used his ways to make himself known in the greatest way was by sending his son. But even Mary had difficulty understanding how will these things be? So he gave her an example. Mary, don't you have a older relative by the name of Elizabeth? Isn't she the one that everybody says is unable to conceive? Isn't she the one who is now beyond the time of conception and giving birth? Don't you have that relative? So even now, she is in her sixth month. By the way, you read back earlier in Luke, you find that Elizabeth had hidden that for five months, but at some point you can't hide that any longer. And so Mary went to be with Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. Elizabeth became an encouragement to Mary. Elizabeth... Because who was Mary? She was 14 or 15 or 16 or 17. We don't know. That was the typical time when a woman in Israel in that day got married. And Joseph would have been 21 or so because that was the typical time that a man got married because he had to have a place to live and he had to have a job and he had to be able to support a family. 
and those were typical things. Think about a 15, 16-year-old, and she goes to be with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth has lived with the Lord for a longer time, and God has spoken to her, and she has seen the power of God in her life. What an amazing thing that must have been. God works, and he works to make himself known to us. And God works, but he still wants us to trust him and to commit our lives unto him. I think the greatest words ever said about Mary were these words. Now, I may, there may be different people who would disagree with this, but I think the greatest words ever said about Mary were these words. When the angel had finished saying what he had said to her, she said, I am the Lord's servant. And the word she used is handmaiden. The word she used is slave. I belong to the Lord. Whatever word he has for me, may that word be done unto me. The thing that makes Mary so credible, the thing that makes Mary so much to be admired and appreciated was her desire to live for God and to be used for God in whatever way that God wanted to use her. And she shows us that God works, but we still have to trust and we have to commit and we have to open ourselves unto God that God's power may work within us. I've got three verses of scripture I want you to see. The first one is a doxology. The word doxology means a word of praise, and it doesn't mean one single word. It just means the way in which we say, do you have any word from the Lord? You're not looking for one word. You're looking for a message that comes from God. And when we sing or praise or pray a doxology unto God, we are giving him praise. There's one in the New Testament. It comes from Paul. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Well, that's what God did in, with Jesus, with Mary, with Joseph. He did more than they could ever ask or even imagine according to the power of that is at work within us. To him be glory to the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's power is at work, and he is working within us. There's another passage of Scripture I want you to see. It's in the Gospel of Mark. It's, it's Mark chapter 9. Jesus and three of his disciples, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, have gone up on the mountain, and there Jesus was transfigured before them. And Jesus told them not to tell that story until the proper time, which was after the resurrection. And Jesus was transformed, transfigured on the mountain, and they saw the glory of God. And they came down the mountain... You know, a lot of times you can live on the mountain, but you really got to live in the valley. And they came down the mountain, and there was a hubbub going on. Because there are other, 
There are nine other disciples down the mountain. And Jesus asked what was happening, and it was a man there. He said, my son is sick, and I need help, and I asked them to heal him, and they can't do it. And Jesus said uh, these words that, uh, that express who we are, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he says, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And the answer was from childhood. The spirit has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. And then he said this. You would have said it in the same way. I would have said it in the same way. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And the next words are amazing. Jesus said, if you can, think about that. If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And I love this man. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Everything is possible for one who believes. There's another, you, you turn the page and it's Mark chapter 10. And now there's a man who's come to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gave him the same thing he did to all of the others. Come and follow me and, and leave what is behind and come and follow me. He asked that of Peter and Andrew and they left the, the boat. And he asked that, asked that of James and John and they left their boat. And he asked that of Matthew who is the tax collector and he left the tax collector's booth. And they came and followed Jesus. But this man was different. This man was different because he had great wealth. And he didn't own the wealth. The wealth owned him. And Jesus said, go sell what you have and come and follow me like all of the others. He was asking him, think of this. Think of this. He was asking him to be his disciple. Wouldn't you have loved that? I mean, think about it. We get to follow Jesus. We get to see miracles. We get to hear him teach and preach. I, I think about that. What a tremendous thing. But the man went away sorrowful. Someone said it's the only time in Scripture that anybody met Jesus and went away sorrowful. Lame people met Jesus and they went away jumping and dancing and twirling. And blind people met Jesus and they went away rejoicing and praising God because they could see. 
This man whose child was possessed of a demon went away joyful, thankful for what God had done. And here's a man who is asked to be the disciple of Jesus, and he goes away sorrowful because his possessions owned you. And you and I look at him and say, what a fool he was. Who would ever do that? And yet there are people all the time who do that. Maybe you, where you know Jesus is calling you, calling you to trust him, to follow him. And so the man went away sorrowful and the disciple, and Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because those things own him. And the disciples then said, then who can be saved? Remember what Jesus said? With man it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And God wants us to know him and know his power and to know his work in our lives. For with God, all things are possible. Even the things that you are dealing with, even those things that you think own you, God can do all things when we trust, when we commit, when we open our lives unto him. And that's what I want to ask you today. I want to ask all of us here, we all need God. We all need God in our lives. We all need God right here with us. I want to ask you to, to say unto God, God, I give myself to you. I want to be your servant. I want to belong to you. I want to come and be your disciple. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to pray at the conclusion of my prayer. I'm going to ask you to come to the front. The music will have started. The, the pastors will be here in the front, and it will be your time to pray, pray with them, to, to say, I want God in my life, and I want the power of God, and I want to live for him and honor him in every way. Let's pray. God, thank you for your great love for us and your devotion Thank you for coming into our world. Thank you for providing a way when there was no way. God, thank you for being with us in all that we experience in life. God, help us to see your power and your work among us. And God, please speak to our hearts and our lives. We want to experience you and know you and follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>